right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of On the Delo, episode 102. And this is a cool one because I'm going to um, talk with somebody about something that I don't know shit about um, <laughs> and then some stuff. But uh, welcome, Stephen. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Delo. Awesome. How did, uh, how did we meet again? We met through our mutual friend, uh, the man, the myth, Adam Layor founder of Sinatra, um, and have just kind of become buddies through the Phoenix scene. Yeah. And, and so how did you get involved with Sinatra? When did that all come? Funny string of connectivity there. So uh, Adam and I became friends. I think the first time he and I met in person was when he came out to an event that I threw in Phoenix. Um, I've been hosting Bitcoin meetups here for yeah. a few years. Okay. So it's just kind of casual. Usually once every two to four weeks, people get together at a bar, brewery, something like that, and talk about Bitcoin. So and it ends up being a good mixture of folks. Adam came out to one of those, and uh, he and I hit it off, and then That's cool. got to talking more about tech and what he's up to. Yeah, and it, am I correct in saying that you have a little bit to do with Sinatra? I am an investor in yeah. Sinatra, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, very small in terms of sort of contributions. Others are doing all the heavy lifting, but very excited. Yeah, well, and, and that's part of um, that, that's part of what I want to talk to you about today. That's not the stuff that I, I don't know crap about, the Bitcoin, which we'll get into, which I'm excited to talk about and give people kind of an entrepreneurial perspective and a, and a no BS sort of talking point about it and what it really is and what it really isn't. But you're an angel investor, right? That's right. And how many concepts are you in right now? Uh, have done about 55 angel investments, okay. and that spanned the last six years or so. Right. So it was pretty slow and gradual ramping up. Like I started doing that stuff in 2017, but I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't have a background in finance. I felt like I knew a lot about startups that I had learned from working at them, yeah. doing software things, and yeah. kind of being on the employee side. So I wanted to try to apply some of those learnings from the investor side of the table. But I don't have a finance degree. I don't an MBA, there's a lot about business that I just sort of learned empirically along the way. And so I was dipping my toe in the waters in 2017, just with the goal of grow at it, learn more about it every day, and yeah. knew that I wanted to do more of it and see if I could make that the focus. And now it's kind of got to the point where the last two years, um, that really has been the full-time focus, effectively. So for people that are, are listening that... Um don't even know what an angel investor is. What What is like a, a very layman's term? Like what's the definition of an angel investor? Yeah. Um, angel investor is essentially um, investing into private companies, often technology companies and startups. And typically it's the earliest stages of the company. So it could even be, you know, one person with nothing more than an, an idea and they need some capital to, yeah. to go and try to bring that to life. And the distinction between angel investing and something like venture capital is um, angel investing typically involves the investor's own personal capital. Mm -hmm. And whereas VCs and kind of institutional investors, they are investing into the same type of companies, but they are often investing money that others have given them. So they're like managing other people's money, Got putting it. that into the company. Makes sense. And would you say about 99% of the companies out there that get invested in fail? Yeah, the, uh, the failure rate's pretty 
pretty high just in terms of stats and raw numbers. Um, the earliest stages as well are when the number of unknowns is just the highest. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's high risk, high reward. You can wait and you can invest later when the company has grown. It's kind of got a product out there. Maybe it's got a lot of traction and they're even making a ton of money. And that could still be a profitable investment. But because so much of that has been proven, the, a lot of that risk has been removed. And so when you invest at that point, you typically are paying a much higher price. Yeah. So you're really investing in an idea, a person, maybe a prayer. <laughs> Often, yes. Yeah, Combination yeah. of all the above. <laughs> yeah, and I, I guess that's just kind of the way the world works. I, I just read a book, and um, the title, uh, I can't remember the title, but it's a VC book, and it talks about Sequoia and Dreesen, like all these different firms that I'm starting to get familiar with now with my my uh, relationship with Sinatra and what's going on there. And it's really interesting to hear the perspectives on how all these, you know, now big companies got started and literally in, you know, pajamas and, you know, alcohol-strewn apartment buildings and, you know, again, just an idea, prayer, and a person. Totally. Um, was it The Power Law by any chance? Yes, Is that it was. The book? Thank yeah. you. Yes. Um, excellent book. I, I learned a lot from that book as well because, yeah. you know, I feel like I sort of came onto the scene, but often you're missing the historical context for why things are the way they are in an industry. And that book did such a great job of kind of painting the picture of like, here's how it started. And then, you know, there wasn't a lot of the structure that there is today. And here's like how and why that all came to be. And it really provides great context. Yeah, and it's interesting. The more successful you become, the more like barriers and the more things that you got to worry about as far as you know stock options and taxes and oh yeah you know and it's like you, these these companies these people like you almost have to spend a shit ton of money in order to you know just keep yourself whole i believe notorious big summarized that pretty well uh, mo money mo problems yeah, um, yeah the, the surface sure. area for stuff that you worry about often does tend to increase um, the more you're exposed to interesting yeah no, it's so true. Okay, so 2017, you start to become an angel. You grow your wings. You invest in, you know, you get like 55 companies that you've invested in now. What were you doing prior to that? You mentioned software and this and that. So what, what was it that you were doing? What was your nine to five beginnings and what was your job and all that? Yeah, pretty software centric. So grew up, I was always um, just really pulled toward internet tech and computers, just fascinated with it. So I am from a small town in Missouri originally and studied computer science in college the sort of official curriculums that I had access to in high school and college weren't very tech-focused. Right. Um, and so a lot of what I learned ended up being independent study. I would go to the library in my small hometown um, after school and just crack open these big books about how computers work and how the internet works. And I would take notes on them. Wow. And I, I still have these like pieces of aligned notebook paper at home. Because yeah. um, I was just so pulled toward it, I almost couldn't resist. And so I knew for a long time I wanted to be involved in that scene and just wasn't sure in what capacity. But um, after college, applied for every job I could find in Silicon Valley because I thought that that's where all this hot internet stuff was happening and got hired at eBay as, uh, as an engineer. And so I was there for about four years, kind of working on software and infrastructure that powers eBay.com. Mm. And that was where I learned a lot about how big corporations work and how big websites work. Um, so that was kind of my, my first sort of business boot camp and full-time gig. 
and eventually uh, moved into leading people and leading teams. So I'm, you know, wasn't and am not the most brilliant engineer in the room by any means. Yeah. But I feel like the sweet spot for me is kind of that intersection of people and tech. So like bringing together a group of people, trying to get them excited about, you know, what we're marching toward and, and build something. Yeah. I love that challenge. Your personality fits that of um, almost like an ambassador between an engineer and like getting other people that don't know anything about any of what you just talked about together. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yep. Like a bridge. Yeah, I, I think yeah. so. I love that challenge of trying to take something that is maybe very techy, maybe there's a lot of like lingo to it that people aren't familiar with, and just trying to like simplify it yeah. and humanize it and and frame it in a way that's accessible and meaningful to people from whatever context they're coming from. Yeah. Um, so I, I worked at eBay for a few years and then um, had a couple journeys as an early stage startup employee. So I was never a founder myself, never had my own startup, but there were a couple times that I joined startups when they were fairly early on, like fewer than 10 employees each, mm -hmm. and um, kind of experienced that ride from, you know, like, holy shit, things are going well and things are not going well. And then um, felt like there was a lot that I was surprised by in yeah. both those journeys. And at the end of it, looked back and thought, man, there's like probably not many people in the world who have had the opportunity to like learn those lessons in those hard ways that I just learned. And that made me excited about trying to go and do the investor thing a little bit more and get access to that asset class of startups. Yeah, so that would, I mean, that's all very successful time that you've spent because you've learned and you understand. And now when you probably look at a company to, you know, invest in, you can take the perspective of what they're going through and really understand that and go along for the ride with them from, you know, 30,000 feet. But, you know, I think so. I think I'm, I'm really grateful that I did have that direct in the trenches experience yeah. at startups because um, I think it does just make it more relatable. Um, you can empathize a lot more with founders and employees of these companies when they're so early on yeah. in a way that I don't feel like I would have been able to otherwise. That's cool. All right. So you had a checking account back then? I, did. I assume they paid you money, cash. <laughs> when did you get rid they of your did. checking account? What did all this Bitcoin shit happen? Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, Bitcoin. So favorite, you know, topic to, to jam on. And I assume we've got about four hours here that we'll, you know, we'll, we have, we'll, we'll, we'll edit it, it down to uh, 15 minutes. So go. Perfect. Perfect. Um, I got exposed to Bitcoin in 2011 to 2013. Okay. And so, you know, about 10 years ago by now. And during that two-year period, I mostly ignored it. I felt like I'm super busy. I'm trying to, like, help do this startup stuff. And it was a grind. And so I felt like I didn't have the mental bandwidth to pay attention to this Bitcoin stuff. Yeah. So there were, like, smart friends of mine who just kept nudging me, and I was shrugging it off. 2013, I finally said, okay, they're still excited about it. I do think they're some of the most intelligent people I've ever met. And this thing is still around. Um, it hasn't died yet, even though I read headlines that said this thing is dying. And so that made me really curious and wanted to dive in more. And, you know, I think that's, so that's when I like bought a tiny amount and started to get more curious. Yeah. And then really over the, the two year period following that, I kind of went from intellectual curiosity to an, an optimism to 
damn, this is unlike anything that I've ever seen before in ways that were not obvious to me. And I think it could actually be this huge deal and transformative for the world. So, so when you're, when you're looking at all this, are you, is there any of your personal money into it yet? Or are you just kind of looking from afar, watching and reading and understanding and learning? And if that's the case, when did you like say, you know what, I'm just going to throw whatever, 10 grand into this and see what happens? Yeah. I started buying a little bit in 2013. The price around then was, I think it actually worked out well in terms of price because there was this big run up to $1,000 at Mm. the time, which seems hilarious given today's prices of $44,000 or so. Um, But back then, it it ran up from like, I think, $100 to $1,000. And I came in right after that. So I think when it was like $800, that was the first tiny bit that I threw a few hundred bucks into this. Yeah. And then immediately after that, it like crashed back down to 200. Mm. And so it was this very quick forcing function almost for me to go, did I just get scammed? Like, is this thing actually nonsense? And like right. now I'm down on this investment. And so that kind of forced me to, you know, challenge my thinking around it a little bit, go and want to learn more and figure out like, okay, do I part ways with this or yeah. is there something here and should I actually buy more of it? And the more that I dove in, the more that I read and learned, my confidence just grew. Okay. And, and so I gradually in the coming years just kept buying more and more uh, Bitcoin and went through this journey of other cryptocurrencies too. All the listeners probably know there's thousands of these things, um, you know, Ethereum, Cardano, Solana, blah, blah, blah. So there was one point in time where I probably owned 20 different cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. and I thought, this is all the future and it's going to be like one's going to take off yeah 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 Yeah. one is going to dominate but maybe it's even this future where there's like a coin for everything Mm. so if you think D-Lo is cool you'll buy D-Lo coin and Mm. if you think Kanye West is cool you'll buy Kanye coin or whatever it is Um, and and that'll be like the way that we express value and that was all interesting kind of thought experiments but um, I've changed my view on that a lot Um, I've kind of come back to this position of I see a lot of substance promise in Bitcoin itself and not as much in any of the others. And so today I only hold Bitcoin. All your eggs are in the Bitcoin basket. Yeah. Very cool. Um, And and I can see, I'm sure most people listening that follow this because this isn't really a a, a tech podcast or a financial podcast, but it is becoming one because I want you all to, to, you know, to learn. And that's that's why I want to just keep it as simple as possible because I think that there's definitely opportunities for people and I think people certainly give up too soon. And and I think if you're going to, in my opinion, if you're going to invest in something that you're not educated in or very unsure about, but you're just kind of interested in putting money somewhere else, don't make it be all of your money. You know, just do little bits and chunks, you know, of Bitcoin. Wise words. Um, I encourage the same. I think even though I believe in it on a long term time frame, the short term game is so unpredictable and can be so gnarly. And so I tell people put if when you're going to buy your first amount of it, put in something that will not bother you if you if it drops by half the following day. Yeah. You know, Um, and the strategy that I honestly think is best and simplest is dollar cost averaging, which basically just means pick whatever dollar amount works for your budget. Maybe that's, you know, a hundred dollars a month, ten dollars a month, thousand dollars a month. Um, But whatever that number is, just do that, like put it on cruise control, you know, automatically buy that every week, every month on a regular basis. And then you just, you're kind of 
dampening all of that Cost noise and that volatility stuff, yeah. so you don't have to stress about the short-term action. Well, it's kind of like, I mean, I have a, you know, a Vanguard account, retirement account, and I have money pulled out. I'm sure a lot of people do. They just get their, you know, money pulled out and put in retirement. I'm sure that makes you, you know, irk. But, you know, it'd be no different, I guess, because from what you are saying is like Bitcoin's not going anywhere. If anything, it's going to get stronger over time. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I believe. Yeah. And Bitcoin is about 15 years old now. Yeah. And so, you know, it's um, it's not as young as it used to be. Yeah. And although it has had these wild fluctuations and crashes over the years, um, you know, it's come back stronger. It yeah. has a track record of doing that. And it's hilarious to go back and read some of the headlines from these crashes right. and look at what the price tag was at those levels. Like there are headlines from Forbes and, you know, uh, the Wall Street Journal saying like RIP Bitcoin, you know, it's time to move on. Bitcoin experiment has failed. Mm -hmm. And that's when it was like $15, $100, $5,000. Like it's just... It's perceived to be dying over and over yeah. and over, and somehow it's just not. There's a lot of noise out there for sure, and if you listen to it, you can certainly get distracted. Um, so is there a safe way to buy Bitcoin? Yeah, um, I would recommend using, like finding people who you trust in, in the ecosystem yeah. and using recommendations from them, because it is still sort of the Wild West. Like if you just go out there with a search engine and you type, you know, Bitcoin, some of those results might be sketchy. There might still be companies that are claiming to sell you Bitcoin and they will happily take your money and not give you Bitcoin in return. So what, what so, about like popular places like like Coinbase and TrustWallet and stuff like that? Are those reliable? Those are reliable in terms of like, yeah, they're, you know, uh, on the up and up, they're going to be giving you exposure to Bitcoin. What I don't love about um, them and sort of Coinbase specifically is they seem very focused on a lot of the other cryptocurrencies. Yeah. And so that um, that onboarding process, like when you join Coinbase, you register and say you buy a little bit of Bitcoin through them. What's going to happen the next time you log in is they're going to show you a pop-up and say, congrats, you've got Bitcoin. There are all these hundreds of other great coins that we have, and you should totally trade your Bitcoin for this hot coin of the week and mm. all of that. And so it's it's a lot of noise. Yeah. And I feel like the, the marketing there... I don't love, like, I feel like it sort of leads people astray if you do believe that the future will be more Bitcoin centric. Right. Um, and if you just look at the history of a lot of these other cryptocurrencies, um, the the risk profile is so much higher. Yeah. So I, I try to refer friends, family, anyone to um, companies that just focus on Bitcoin and don't support the other coins. Yeah. A couple examples, um, Swan Bitcoin. So I'm, I'm an investor in them, full disclosure, um, but Swan.com. They're, they make it easy to dollar cost average, um, okay. and they have advisory teams. They can facilitate retirement accounts, even if you want exposure through a retirement account. Okay. And then um, you know another company that I have no affiliation with is River Financial, and they're also fantastic, very Bitcoin focused. So I think both of like those types of companies that are just trying to build a secure, stable, beautiful user experience around Bitcoin. Yeah, that's that's the sweet spot in my opinion. It's interesting. There's so many things. There's gold. There's silver. Oh yeah. Bitcoin. There's all this stuff, and everybody obviously they'll um, you know they'll preach what it is that they believe in. Um, I, I think what would be really curious and, and good for the audience to understand is, okay, here's your worst case scenario. You lose all your money. Like, cool. 
lose all your money, Bitcoin goes away. But obviously, like you said, 15 years been around. It's you know, it's it's gone lower than what it is now. It's creeping up. You know, now it's had a, I, to prepare for this. I've been kind of following the market a little bit. <clears throat> it's been going up a little bit. What? Um, so that's that's number one. Number two. Um, let, let's go all the way to the extreme of let's just say you know Joe invests today. Twenty years later, Joe has this much more money. W what's the what's the benefit of having this much more money in Bitcoin that Joe can utilize before he croaks? I think that the um, the risk reward profile of Bitcoin is really unique among any other asset class out there that you can evaluate. And one area of sort of history and economics that I think is fascinating is just we as humans for thousands of years, like how have we protected our wealth? Um, you know, back to sort of the like tribal cave person days, all the way until now, it's like seashells were money, um, gold trinkets were money, um, you know, and then there's other, all these other sort of asset goats. classes, like real estate. Yeah, goats. Chickens. Livestock, real estate, housing, and each sort of culture, geography, region, state of technology, all those factors, um, you know, play a role in how people end up choosing to do that. And this is the kind of stuff that Bitcoin got me fascinated with, frankly. Like, I put the software books on the shelf, and I started reading more about the history of money, the mm. history of economics, Smart. and why people choose different savings technologies. Mm -hmm. And and I think that that term is really important when thinking about Bitcoin, okay. because when we think about money, especially in the United States, I think we naturally jump to the conclusion of payments. Yeah. Like my, I know that was true for, for me in yeah, my journey. I thought like first time I heard about Bitcoin, I was like, oh, neat. So it's so it's this new internet money. So where can I spend it? Like, yeah. Can I go to right. a coffee that's what shop? Most think. Buy, yeah, right. Yeah. And that's natural. Like totally understand why that's the case. But the deeper that I went into Bitcoin, the more I sort of realized like payments is part of money, but it's only one part. And this other part that might even be bigger and more important that we overlook and we take for granted, especially here in the US, is a savings technology, mm. a way to protect the value that you've already earned. And when you start to look at Bitcoin through that lens, I think its, it's potential is unmatched. Um, one reason that that is true is there is a limited number of Bitcoin that will ever exist. Right. And that magic number is 21 million. And they don't keep printing it like they do money, like exactly. the banks do. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <clears throat> and I thought that that statement was, um, I, w I was hyper skeptical the first time I heard that. I yeah. was like, limited number of something digital on computers? Like, that's not how computers work. Right. It's easy, like software is just code. Why yeah, can't R2D2 you just goes in there and changes <laughs> to 41. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So I came at it with all kinds of, you know, I'm going to poke holes in this. I'm going to like see what they're missing or, you know, why they're marketing it this way when it clearly can't work that way. Yeah. And the more that I learned about Bitcoin, the more impressed I became with this really clever set of incentives in the system that provide guarantees about that predictability. Okay. And that could be, I mean, we could spend hours just on that topic alone, but the summary of it is. I, I think it's actually true that there will never, ever be more than 21 million Bitcoin that can ever exist, yeah. no matter how badly anyone wants to change it, no matter how badly Google, Facebook, Amazon, you know, U.S. governments, militaries around the world, geopolitical actors, I don't believe that that number can ever change. And 
And that type of scarcity and predictability, you can't get anywhere else. So, you know, people have loved gold for a long time because they think governments are printing more money. They can't easily print more gold. So yeah. like, I'm going to hold this stuff. And and I actually was, you know, aboard that um, for a while. I had gold and, you know, silver coins and all that. And um, philosophically, like, I'm absolutely down with that. But... I think Bitcoin has all of those same strengths, just more, like 100x better, because we don't know how much silver and gold is left under the Earth's crust. Right. We don't know. We certainly don't know how much is in the solar system. Once Elon gets better at this asteroid mining stuff, maybe he's going to go and find trillions of dollars worth of gold. And then it becomes worthless. <laughs> and, so, and so, yeah, so you have, you know, supply and demand is yeah. what creates a price. And, and the supply is just so hard to know with any other asset, and, and especially dollars, right? It's obvious yeah. that they can whim dollars into existence whenever they want. Want. But what's special about Bitcoin is that it's the first time we've had a limited number of something digital. And so we know exactly how many Bitcoin there are right now and how many there will ever be. Interesting. 50 years from now, 1,000 years from now. So are they all taken up for? Like when somebody goes to buy a Bitcoin, where are they buying it from? Somebody else that may have sold? It's just yes. kind of a transactional thing that happens all the time. So people sell and rebuy and sell. and Mostly, yeah. yeah. Similar to um, almost like foreign exchange markets. You can almost think of it as, uh, you know, another form of currency, but one with a supply that is yeah. strictly limited. Um, or even a commodity is probably a better way to think about okay. it, like, like a gold, um, silver, like precious metals um, or, or oil, for example example or copper. So there are companies out there that are mining Bitcoin, which is the process by which they're found. So like ultimately that's where all of the Bitcoin come from. But when when you are just going and purchasing Bitcoin, you know, it's not necessarily that you're like buying these Bitcoin that are fresh out of the mines. Um, It's usually you're buying from some other entity that is just holding and kind of selling Bitcoin and maybe they're moving back and forth into the asset all the time. Okay. So then last question I have about this, just for the the middle ground thing, and this is totally hypothetical, but for people to kind of have a very clear understanding, it's to my understanding that like Visa and MasterCard have actual credit cards that will allow you to put Bitcoin value on there for a human being like yourself that has no cash to be able to use to actually purchase stuff. Is that is that right? Or like, how, how do you, if, if I have no cash and I've got all my life savings, 500 grand in Bitcoin, and I need to go buy a house or I need to go buy a car, or I need to go buy groceries, how do I do that? Yeah, um, there are companies out there that are kind of building products and solutions around that. Um, credit cards that are backed by Bitcoin, debit cards that are backed by Bitcoin, Bitcoin banking accounts effectively that allow you to do ACH transfers, wire transfers, but really sort of Bitcoin is like the base money underneath that. I'm not sure about Visa and MasterCard specifically, kind of, you know, where their head is at on this stuff. They're certainly dabbling in it in different ways. Um, But I think that the the payment stuff is interesting because as much of a Bitcoiner as I consider myself and as much as I believe that, yeah, someday Bitcoin is going to be used for all payments everywhere, I think it's still really early for that. And I think that as hilariously simple as it sounds, the, the killer way to use Bitcoin today is simply to buy it and to hold it. 
And there's this funny principle in economics of kind of how different forms of money compete with each other. Mm. And so if one form of money is stronger than another, yeah. like maybe Bitcoin is competing with the U.S. dollar right. and with the Japanese yen and with the Mexican peso and all, all of these currencies. And, and you can observe throughout history where different forms of money have competed. And what kind of happens is you'll get people who, you know, have access to both. And the way that they behave is they, they want to hold the stronger money and they want to spend the weaker money. Mm. And I think that's an interesting way to conceptualize it today is like almost like spend dollars for as long as the world will let you get away with it. Right. Because if you have the choice of parting with your precious, scarce Bitcoin that people have no idea how limited it is, yeah. no idea how valuable it could become, or parting with some weaker form of money, maybe that's dollars that don't have those same supply guarantees, then, you know, spend the dollars. Credit cards work decently well for payments today. If you try to pay at the register with Bitcoin, it's probably going to be this clunky experience because it's just so early in yeah. this journey. Yeah. So it's and, really an investment mechanism at this point. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of see it in this phased Aggression, where there's three parts to it. There is first a savings technology, and then there is a payments technology, yeah. and only at the end of it is there kind of this um, unit of account uh, function, which is basically like thinking about prices, listing prices. Right. So if you are press coffee, for example, then um, you know someday I think it will make sense to list your prices on the menu in Bitcoin, mm. which is that third phase, that like unit yeah. of account where you conceptualize the price. But that would be a nightmare today. They should not do that today. You should never attempt to like <laughs> list prices in Bitcoin right now because we are so early in this that we're still in the store of value phase. Right. So. You know, as more people learn what Bitcoin is, more people are going to buy it, and that's just going to continue to make it volatile. So we have to wait until trillions of dollars figure this out yeah. and buy it before it really calms down. People end up having it on their phone, and they'll be able to go into a press coffee and just scan. Like, yeah. here's the Bitcoin, done, you know, and then it just takes it out and does whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. All right. Well, that's awesome. That's a great overview. I, I don't want to get too in detail and... and um, make everybody's head explode. But <laughs> I, I do want to talk about you as an individual. You're obviously an entrepreneur. You're obviously doing, uh, investing a lot of great stuff. So because this is more of like an entrepreneur, you know, podcast, I, I like people to get a feel for the individual that I'm interviewing and just kind of like what your day looks like and, and what are things that you do on a daily basis that make you feel better, make you want to, you know, have drive, you know, just all those things. Yeah. Love it. Um, the, my day nowadays looks wildly different from, you know, when I was kind of full-time employee at startups or corporations. And it took me a while to adjust to that, actually, yeah. having that, that lack of structure um, around the day. Um, you know, it, it has been an adjustment for me. I think nowadays it can vary wildly because I'm, you know, somewhat involved in a lot of different companies. Yeah. But the capacity in which I'm involved is sort of unofficial. Right. So you're 
looking for ways that you can be helpful to companies, um, and that could be you know helping them with hiring, helping them with fundraising and venture capital strategy, even chiming in on product strategy or or some of the tech and software pieces. Yeah, I enjoy all of that, um, but it's really hard to predict like when that's going to be needed or useful at any of these companies. And so, um, I would say it's very bursty in terms of the the demand for that. So there will be weeks where I feel overloaded and it's just like back-to-back meetings with entrepreneurs who I'm already involved with and maybe some sort of pitch um, sessions or, you know, just getting to know other founders. Yeah. Um, and so there will be like meeting heavy weeks where I kind of walk away from that feeling a little bit overwhelmed and exhausted. Right. And I need a recharge and yep. I'll try to block a few days off for deep work um, and have more that I'm kind of wanting to launch in terms of my own content. So, um, you know, have a book in the works, oh, cool. um, yeah. which is new territory for me. Okay. And I, uh, you know, I am uh, fairly ADHD in terms yeah. of my contributions I get to things. That. And so the idea of like sit down for this multi-hour period and just do this one thing right. is challenging, but I think it's like healthy growth type of challenge. thousand percent. Yeah. So um, I've been trying to be more disciplined about carving out certainly time in the mornings for, yeah. for health and things that I was never as good about prioritizing before. So wake up, you know, don't check my phone for the first hour. It's, you know, family time. We, we have a one-year-old at home, my wife and I here in yeah. Phoenix. And so trying to be there for the morning routine, um, be there in the evening and really be present Mm -hmm. is something that was such a struggle for so much of my adult life. And I think that having a child has really helped anchor me in that regard and and make me more present, which I appreciate. So paying a lot more attention nowadays to nutrition and um, and exercise, try to start the day off like that. And when I do, I feel so much better. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing what good nutrition, sleep, movement, and most importantly, family and, and community time, you know? For sure. If you read about the blue zones, that's what they talk about all the time, what, you know? And, and it's funny because it's not like it's not like people in those areas are doing one thing. They're doing all the things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that really is a, a balancing act. And I think that I've become a lot more comfortable realizing that there is no perfect 24-hour template no. for me. I used to want to strive for that. I used to want to be like, okay, this is the, the cookie-cutter template, and this is how I'm going to structure every single day, yeah. and that's going to be optimal for me. And I've come to the conclusion that that does not exist. That's a fantasy. And really, the the most it makes sense to, the, the most granular it makes sense for me to get is kind of a week-by-week time frame. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe one day looks like very work-intense in some capacity. And then the next day, you kind of balance that out. And um, and then I think on that week over week time frame, it's much more achievable. Mm-hmm. And I don't stress as much I'm about right on board what any that. particular 24-hour period looks like. Totally makes sense. Like yesterday, my day was, you know, hell. And not, not because it was a bad day. It was just like here to there to, you know, I taught class at uh, uh, GCU and uh, you know I taught for four hours you know liquor liability which is great and it's passionate and these kids love it you know but you know you gotta you gotta I, I wake up I work out I go over there I have a meeting before that I go teach that then I have another meeting then I gotta go home and pick up my guitar which is awesome because I get to go to guitar lessons for 30 minutes but then I have another meeting and then I have a happy hour that I don't even drink but I go to the happy hour to be social and then by the time I get home for dinner which is late for me is like 6 30 and I'm like ah, out of my so I was like okay I gotta make 
make sure that Friday is just kind of more of a mellow day, you know, yeah. just in the office, do the podcast, like what we're doing today. And so I, I totally resonate with that. That's oh, man. Yeah. It's also easy for me, I think, to get borderline neurotic about certain routines. Yeah. And uh, a big learning for me, especially this year, has been, you know, with knowing so much about nutrition, not saying that I'm an, I'm an expert, but like to whatever extent you feel like you know about nutrition, yeah. I think I'm guilty of, oh, you know, being just hyper aware of what I'm eating yeah. and what supplements I'm taking. And that can be good. I do like it's important, but it can get to a ridiculous extent to yes. where it's like uh, I, I only took, you know, 11 out of the 12 supplements that I right. optimally take in the yeah. morning. And so I'm not going to be as clear headed on Delo's podcast and I'm not going to know the answers to what yeah. he asks me. And and that just like gets to this place where the stress that you put on yourself undoes any benefit that you're getting almost like ends up being a net negative, you know, and Warren Buffett is over there like eating Dairy Queen and drinking Coca-Cola and he's going to live to be a thousand because he just yeah. like doesn't stress. Richard, about it. everybody, everybody combined <laughs> listening. I know it's crazy. Um, no, that's great. That's great insight. And hopefully people can get a takeaway from that. Um, all right. I have some rapid fire questions for you. You ready? Hit me. Okay. Travel or stay home? Travel. Where, where, what's, what's your favorite place? Destination? Man. Um, Favorite. I, I liked Thailand a lot. Okay. Um, I backpacked around the world solo for six months wow. um, about eight years ago when I was kind of in, I felt burned out on tech startups and uh, spent a month in Thailand. I lived in a kickboxing gym there for two weeks. I hung, <laughs> <laughs> I, I hung out on a on a small island that you could basically jog around in a day um, and loved it. And wow. it was like just affordable and like wonderful people who were super kind and welcoming. Yeah. And really love the culture and everything. Too many bugs for me. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, um, a quick uh, liquid breakfast, or do you like to eat a full hearty breakfast? Um, I I prefer a full hearty breakfast, yeah. but um, you know you've got to have something, and so I kind of have a go-to liquid breakfast, so you know you have that baseline. Um, but then you know try to strive for the the hearty breakfast. Um, family feud or wheel of fortune? Wheel of fortune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was never really, never exposed to Family Feud as much. I guess Wheel of Fortune just happened to be much more on my radar growing up. I think it's still on. I think it's I still think going. Pat Sage, yeah. Oh man, who it is? I don't know. Uh, Led Zeppelin or the Who? Uh, you're going to just scold me for not really even knowing either of them. I mean, I know of the, oh, like you know their names, okay. but if you told me to name one song by either of them, I don't think that I could. Okay. Um, <laughs> Why don't you give me your favorite band? Uh, I like hip hop a lot okay. and, uh, and and rap. Um, you hear that, see. Jeremy Scott? We got another hip hop fan. So, yeah. all right, so I'll give you this: Run DMC or Tupac? Tupac. All right. Yep. There you go. There we it is. Tupac fans. <laughs> um, Mac or PC? Uh, Mac. Halloween or 4th of July? Ooh, um, 4th of July. Independence. Very that cool. That theme resonates with me. Yeah, and it's sunny and it's nice out. Yeah. Barbecue or sushi? Oh, man, those are like my two favorite categories, uh, so really tough to pick. I'm going to go with sushi. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Um, Wells Fargo or Bank of America? Hold <laughs> oh, <duh>. on. <laughs> Uh, I could resist. Yeah, you just, you gotta, you know. Um, like, which, do you, the dinosaur on the left or the dinosaur you on the right? You can say neither, um, it's fine. Yeah, let's I, do. I just did that to mess with you. Which one of them will embrace the new money first is an interesting question. Yeah. Um, hybrid or diesel? <laughs> um, 
<laughs> Hybrid. They're so, so good. All over the place. Uh, and uh, last but not least, Twix or Jolly Ranchers? Ooh, Twix. Okay. Love yeah. it. Big fan. Yeah, Twix are for kids. They're good. Yeah, yeah. and you know, always stay stay kid at heart. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, where wh- what would you like people to know or learn about or follow or we'll put it all in show notes and this and that. And if they want to invest in Bitcoin, obviously y- you've already you know been forthcoming with like you have part of a company. So just give us whatever information you want to share. Yeah, um, I'm, I try to stay fairly active on Twitter. Um, most of the topics I spend time talking about on there are in the realm of startups or Bitcoin. Uh, my Twitter account is S then C, so S-T-H-E-N-C. And um, if there are any, you know, founders, technologists, startup folks, just like hit me up. My DMs are open. I love talking about this stuff. So whether it's like, how do I buy Bitcoin? I'm curious about what you said on this podcast. Or, um, you know, if you're an entrepreneur kind of doing the startup thing, like I just I love meeting cool people doing cool stuff and talking about cool things. So hit me up. That's awesome. And you are cool people for sure. So, um, well, dude, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. This means a lot. I appreciate it. And and, uh, I turn the arrow down and I'm freezing my ass off. Right now. Uh, <laughs> Glad we got the hoodies. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, so I got my tech hoodie on. I wore this, you know, specifically for these tech podcasts we're doing. Yeah. Um, all right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe. Give it a five star. Share it with your friends. Um, again, you know, I just do this for well to, to entertain myself, get to know people better, but also to share some great information. Hopefully that you guys find uh, for you. And um, yeah, just uh, hit me up if you have any questions and also you can check out my website at I am the Delo and until then we will check you out later peace out